So I want to start tonight with a phrase you guys know oh too well. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we all know, oh, come on, that's such, that's not even true. Words do hurt. But see, I think part of the, part of what the phrase is trying to tell us is that words are like sticks and stones. They may not hurt us the same way. And so sometimes somebody says something to you and the words that they say might as well be sticks and stones coming at you. Because words are things that we can throw at people. They're things that we can project onto people. When we have words thrown at us, do we throw words back? Or do we handle the words thrown at us like mature people in Christ? Or like David does when this happened to him? That's the background of Psalm 7. And let's take a look at the title, because that gives us the context of this prayer. Psalm 7 says, A shigayon, and no one has a clue what that is, except it probably means something to do with the musical part. So something about the music of David, which he sang to Yahweh concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. Like, oh, I love it when the Psalms give us a specific setting. Now we can go look it up and see what David was doing. Well, actually, though, if you try to look up Cush the Benjamite, he's not in the Bible, except for here. There's no, we, we don't know who Cush the Benjamite is. Unless we assume that he's operating under a nickname of sorts in one passage or the other. And I want to suggest to you that Cush the Benjamite comes up in scripture a few times as Shimei the Benjamite. And I think you will agree with me once we get through this psalm and look at the circumstances in both places. So why don't you, before we read Psalm 7, why don't you flip over to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 16. Now remember, while you find 2 Samuel 16, Psalms 3 through 7 are the Psalms of David running from his son Absalom. David was the king. Absalom, his son, whom he was grooming to be the next king, decides it's time to overthrow his father. Rather than fighting it out, David chooses to flee. He moves into the wilderness and lives as a fugitive. And Absalom is hunting him down. Psalms 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 are the prayers of David during this time. Guess what? We live like that, don't we? We're on the run, especially nowadays. With news and information and chaos and confusion coming at us all the time, I feel like we've been living on the run since March. And so we get to relate to David's prayers here. But guess what else happens? Eventually it calms down. Next week, we get a look at chapter 8. We're finally out of the David on the Run Psalms. And I'm looking forward to going through that one with you. But this one is good too. Um, so you guys at 2 Samuel chapter 16. So here's David on the run. And while he's leaving the city, check, check out 16 verse 5. When King David came to Behurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei, 
the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left, presumably giving a shield of cover for David while sticks and stones are raining down upon him as well as curses. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out! Get out, you man of blood! You worthless man! Yahweh has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And Yahweh has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Whoa! You don't talk like that to the king, do you? Shimei clearly has a lot of rage pent up in here. Now, let's backtrack. Remember, King Saul was Israel's first king. David was anointed by the prophet Samuel while Saul is king. David is anointed to be the next king. That's always trouble. If the prophets of God say, you're not a legitimate king, there's another king, that's going to make that king go mad out of his mind trying to hunt out this possible usurper. And so Saul goes mad, hunts David down. But David has many opportunities to kill Saul and does not. David chooses to wait till God deals with Saul. Finally, Saul dies in battle and David takes the throne. Now, Shimei, who is of the house of Saul. Now, do you know what tribe Saul was from? Benjamin. So Shimei shares, at least, Cush the Benjamite, the, the Benjamite part of it. And, um, the house of Saul is a Benjamite, uh, whose name was Shimei. Uh, let's see, where are we? He came and cursed. Okay. So he's now blaming David for killing Saul. You killed him. You took his place. Shimei is wrong. He doesn't know his history. He's probably looking up some obscure stories on the internet saying, I like that. It itches the scratch I have. I want to believe that. And so now he's hurling stones and sticks at King David for nothing because he's angry because he's confused. So verse nine, Abishai. Now Abishai is David's nephew. Uh, think of him like his bodyguard. Okay. So Abishai, the son of Zariah said to the King David, why should this dead dog curse my Lord, the King? I like this dead dog. That's what David wants. David wants to say worse than that, huh? Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. Good. That's a good bodyguard, right? Probably not a godly bodyguard, but it's a good bodyguard. And the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he is cursing me because Yahweh has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? Look, look at David thinking God might want Shimei to say this to me. I should probably listen. And David said to Abishai, his bodyguard, and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more may this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse? For Yahweh has told him to. It may be that Yahweh will look on the wrong done to me and that Yahweh will repay me with good for his cursing today. Whoa. 
look, God might have sent him to curse me. Let him curse me. And then David says at the end there, hey, let's not take his head off because maybe God will repay him for this cursing. Why should I get in the way of his reward? I would rather let God deal with it than me. So David takes this really mature position and just endures it. He doesn't throw words back. He doesn't pick up the rock shimmy I just threw at him and hurl him back. Or he doesn't one-up and say, you throw a rock, I'll swing a sword. You know I can kill giants, right? He doesn't do any of that. Now you might want to hold a finger in 2 Samuel because we'll return. But we're now going to go to Psalm 7. So bookmark 2 Samuel. Now, with that in mind, look at the title of Psalm 7 again. Eshigeon of David, which he sang to Yahweh concerning the words of Cush, Shimei, a Benjamite. Now, I think you can see that this is a very plausible explanation, that Cush is Shimei. Now, look at where his prayer begins. Verse 1. O Yahweh my God, in you do I take refuge. Okay, someone has just cursed me. They've accused me of things I haven't done. They're slandering me. They're humiliating me in front of all of my people. And he says, I take refuge in you, God. I love this. Because so often when this happens to me, refuge looks like retaliation. Refuge looks like revenge. Refuge looks like spreading rumors about them. I don't like them, so I'm going to say mean things about them. Now I feel better. That's how we often seek refuge. David doesn't go there. He says, my refuge is in you, Yahweh. And I'm going to put my trust in what you want to do with this. Verse 1 again continues. Save me from all my pursuers. So now this is including Absalom and his army. Save me from my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. So unless you save me, I'm hopeless. Now in verse 3, David asks God to search his heart. Love this. It's not I'm entitled to be rescued. David says, look, Lord, if Shimei has a point, then let him... Let his curses be true. But if he's wrong, don't let this hold up. So, verse 3. O Yahweh my God, if I have done this, done what? What Shimei said. You have killed Saul. You have taken his throne. Did David? If I have done this, if there was wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. How can David pray this? God, let the curses be true if I've done these things. How can he pray that? Because he knows he hasn't. He knows he's walked in integrity up to this point in concerning King Saul. If you want to look at him, 1 Samuel 24-7, you see precisely how David handles Saul. 1 Samuel 24-7, remember when Saul was asleep? Or no, Saul was in the cave. Um, It said in the King James, it says he's covering his feet. 
love that literal image. You know what you're doing when you cover your feet in the bathroom, right? It says that David, this is Psalm, or 1 Samuel 24, um, 24, the very end of verse 4. David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, so David sneaks up on Saul, who's using the john, and cuts off a piece of his clothing. Pretty sneaky and smelly. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, Yahweh forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, Yahweh's anointed, to put my hand out against him, seeing he is Yahweh's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. Whoa, wait a minute. Saul is there, vulnerable, cannot move, and David has every opportunity to end his life, Saul's life, and end his misery and become king like God said you would. Take this in your hands, David. And David has a strange worldview where he believes God is actually the king and he's in charge and God will do with my life what he wants. Wow. No, Shimei, you're wrong. I have not done what you said. And then, of course, Saul's asleep and David sneaks into the camp. This is the second time and takes the spear and the jug from next to his head. And it says in 1 Samuel 26, 10, David said, as Yahweh lives, Yahweh will strike him, Saul, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish, which did happen. Yahweh forbid that I should put out my hand against Yahweh's anointed but take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. Basically as proof of purchase that Saul, I saved your life because aren't these yours? Yeah, so you're lucky. So David says, Lord, if I have done this, no, we know he hasn't done this. We just looked back and, and fact checked. Yeah, David, you're righteous in this regard. So now he can confidently pray verse six, which is where he moves into He's praying now. This is what you would call praise. He's declaring who God is. You are the judge. You're the judge. Not me. I'm not going to judge Shimei. I'm not going to judge my, my enemies, my adversaries. You will judge them. So he prays this reality into his heart. And this is partly what prayer is sometimes. Praising God is praying reality into our hearts. Because by nature, I think I'm the judge. I have to be told that God is the judge. I have to be told to yield decisions to him because I want to take everything into my own hands. I want to be the judge. So part of prayer and praise is to bring the reality of God into our lives. So David prays in verse six. Now I want you to notice how many times he references him as judge. I'll point them out as we go. Arise, O Yahweh, in your anger. Yes, it's okay to be angry. Sometimes we're going through grief. We're going through hurt. We're going through pain. Yeah, if Shimei did this to me, I would be angry. And I would think God would be angry too if I was innocent. Yeah, arise, O Yahweh, in your anger. Because this isn't right. There are victims in the world. And David here is a victim in Shimei's, uh, under Shimei's curse. Arise, O Yahweh, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed 
a judgment. So there's one. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. So there's an image of all the peoples coming into his courtyard and he's reigning on high as the judge. Now verse 8. Yahweh judges the people. That's two. Judge me. That's three. O Yahweh, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. We already see he has integrity. Verse 9. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous. That's four. Judges establish righteousness. You who test, that's five. You who test the minds and hearts, oh righteous God. Verse 10. My shield is with God, who saves, that's six. Judges save people, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge. And that's seven. A God who feels indignation every day. Are you in grief? Are you hurting? Are you in pain? I think all of us, to some degree, it's one of the few times in our society, other than 9-11, and of course times before, but in, in my living memory, one of the few times we as a people are in grief, hurt, and pain. Yes, we are. In one degree or another, we all are. But look, Yahweh feels indignation every day. He gets what we feel because he's angry at the injustices of the world too. He understands what we're feeling. And so we can confidently say, you're the judge, we're giving it to you. And here's the beautiful thing. Prayer frees us. Prayer frees us from the need to judge our enemies. Prayer frees me from the judge, from the need to judge Shimei and the other slanderers and idiots and, and the evil people in the world. Prayer frees me from the need. How many people right now are keeping themselves awake, working themselves up over the evil that they see, over the, the confusion that they see, the chaos, reading up on it, keeping it going in their mind and wanting to always post their opinion or talk to everybody else or just rage and rant. It's, it's tiring. It's exhausting. But see, that's feeling the need to judge the world. That's feeling the need to judge the people around me, to judge the grief or the hurt or the pain that's come toward me. Say, that's, that's, that's bad. But here in prayer, we learn, we learn that prayer recognizes God does all that for us. It frees us from that wearisome need to judge the world. It's not our place. And what we see here in David is that he is praying out his grief, hurt, and pain. And you hear it. And he says, God's angry at this. And you can tell David's hurt by it. He's praying out his grief, hurt, and pain so that he doesn't play out his hurt, grief, and pain. If we keep it all bottled up inside... And if we refuse to learn the language of prayer and praise in this season, then we will begin to play out our grief, hurt, and pain on people, on political opponents, on situations, on the whole, this stupid thing that's going on. And can you believe these idiots and, or Shimei himself, whoever he is in your life, or Absalom. If we don't pray out our grief, our hurt, our pain before Yahweh and recognize him as the judge, we will begin to play it out on people. And those who are spreading grief, hurt, and pain are the very people who are in grief, hurt, and pain. But those who are promoting peace, prayer, and praise 
are those who are in peace, prayer, and praise. This is why David prays out all of this so that he doesn't play it out on Shimei or on the next enemy he sees or on Absalom himself. So in verse 12, he comes to his conclusion. This is the great thing about true deep prayer always brings you to clarity. It starts off with emotion and confusion and it takes you to clarity. I really encourage you guys to not stop praying until you find some sense of peace or clarity. I know we don't always have time to do this deep prayer, but it really is helpful to not stop praying until you feel God's word spoken to you. David clearly gets it. This is what he says in verse 12. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Look, if people don't repent, don't stay awake all night over it. God's got it, okay? He's got it. It's not our job to worry. Um, Verse 14. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. Now this is where it's helpful. Remember we've talked about how Hebrew poetry works. It works with each line relating to the other lines in different ways. So to review, one of the ways is building. Each line is building on itself. Remember that? So here's a perfect example. And you'll see the beauty of what's being said here. Verse 14, line A, the first line says, the wicked man conceives evil. So this is a very poetic metaphor going on here. The wicked man gets pregnant. He conceives. They're doing the deed, right? He's so into his sin. He's doing the deed. Now the next line, B, and is pregnant with mischief. So his deed has led to the biological process of pregnancy. See this? So conceive, pregnancy. What comes after pregnancy? Other than hard nights of sleep and all kinds of aches and pains, comes birth. See the progression. He conceives, he's pregnant, and then he gives birth to lies. So here's the, po- here's the Psalms building one line upon another. And this is true in our lives, friends. If we are dabbling in the wrong sorts of things, it begins to grow a life of its own in our lives. Oh, no, no, I got a handle on this. Oh, come on. How many people have you heard say that? And they really don't. Because at first, oh, no, I totally do have a handle over this. But then you conceive. You've been uh, having some intercourse with your little hobby. And then you're pregnant. And you're carrying this burden around. No, no, I got it. It's fine. It's not out yet. (laughs) And then it's out. And it has a life of its own. And it takes your sleep. And it takes your joy. And it takes your freedom. Like kids do. It's a literal metaphor of what sin does to us. Don't look at kids though that way, okay? They're not, they're not little curses or sins or, um. And then verse 15 continues the same idea, different metaphor now. The wicked man, he makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. Isn't that great? He's digging a pit, he's throwing the dirt, and maybe he checks a text or something and totally forgets where he is, takes a step, and falls in. Makes 
It, it, we have a saying in our own language, right? I'm recalling off the top of my head, so I'm going to get this slower wrong, but making the bed, sleeping in the bed you make, right? Yeah? Okay, some people are, you've heard that. Yeah, it's the same idea. You dig a pit and you fall into it. In other words, the evil boomerangs back upon the evil man. See what's happening? It's boomeranging back. What he has projected in the world is now coming into his own life and giving birth in his own life. What he has dug, his mischief, he is now falling into. The sins we commit, Moses said in Deuteronomy, beware, your sin will find you out. You think, oh no, it's not a big, I just did this and that's it. It goes out there and it may take years, it may take most of your life, it may be tomorrow, but it comes around. What goes up comes down, what comes around goes around. It's the same idea. David is praying that sin works the same way. It boomerangs its way back. And in verse 16, his mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull, his violence descends. Woo. So there's your third image. Pregnancy, the pit, and now kind of the boomerang. Shimei's throwing rocks and sticks and words and curses at David. Well, what should happen? They should come back on his own head. This is so cool. I didn't know this until, well, I actually prepared for this before I had to be quarantined, so like two weeks ago. I didn't know this until then. So I told you to stay in, in 2 Samuel. We'll go there now. Please. <laughs> uh, 2 Samuel chapter 19 now. So you're going a couple pages over. 2 Samuel 19. While you get there, what's happened is Absalom died. He died in battle. He, his own hair, his luscious hair, which gave him this power trip to take his father's throne, gets tangled in oak branches, and he's suspended by them, and Joab kills him. So Absalom literally kind of has his own evil come back on his own head, if you will. Um, so he's done with. David's sad about it. David returns to Jerusalem. He returns. The king who was gone comes back. This is a lot like Jesus. The king who was crucified comes back. David comes back to Jerusalem, and instead of punishing every single enemy. He forgives every single enemy. Especially Shimei. 2 Samuel 19, verse 16. And Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, from Burim, hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. I did not highlight or prepare where it says that he forgave him. But it's in here. Well, if, if it helps, the title says David pardons his enemies. Rather than reading the whole thing and making my sermons take longer than they already do, go look it up late. 18? Thank you. You guys are so helpful. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to go to do his pleasure. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king and was about to cross the Jordan and, and said to the king, Let not my lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord left Jerusalem. Do not let my, do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my lord the king. Um, and then David says in verse 22, What have I to do with you? Um, shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For I, for do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? And the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. 
Isn't that great? Shimei's like, oops, I chose the wrong side. I'm going to plead for forgiveness. And David gives it to him. Friends, that's the spirit of God in someone. Because most of humanity would say, oh, this is my chance, and now it's on display, and I can solidify the fact that I'm the king again. And if anyone dares cross with me again, just think, you don't want to do it, because this is going to turn very badly for all my enemies. David doesn't behead him. He doesn't. Because he's prayed, right? He doesn't play out his grief, hurt, and pain upon Shimei, because he's prayed it out. And David believes that God is the judge and what Shimei has done will one day come back upon his head. David doesn't have to do that. Does it? You would think that this insignificant character would just sort of fade away from the pages of scripture. He was forgiven. He lived happily ever after. Well, guess what? First Kings chapter two, just a couple pages over. First Kings chapter two, David's on his deathbed. And he's swearing, if you will, he's swearing Solomon into the throne. And he warns him about his enemies. He says, watch out for Shimei. Be wise with Shimei. Okay, so Solomon's going to be wise with Shimei. What does Solomon do with Shimei? He puts him, this is um, 1 Kings 2 verse 36. So this is now Solomon. David's now dead. 1 Kings 2 36. The king sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there. And do not go out from there to any place whatever. You're under house arrest, buddy. In other words. So if they had the ankle ankle bracelets back then, Shimei's got it. Chained up to his ankle. For on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron, that's a little creek right outside Jerusalem, know for certain that you shall die. Your blood shall be on your own head. Now, Shimei had a chance to disagree with these terms, but he agreed with them. Shimei said to the king, what you say is good. As my lord, the king has said, so will your servant do. So Shimei lived in Jerusalem many days. Here's the funny thing about the evil heart that has not been changed by Christ. It can be forgiven. It can be given promises and oaths, but the heart is still evil. This is why sin is like a boomerang. It will always come back upon our own heads because here's what happens to Shimei. He leaves. He leaves to go visit someone in another country. Comes back. And of course, Solomon's security system went, root, 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 ankle bracelet, left Jerusalem, you know. So Solomon's ready for him. And verse, um, verse 44, the king also said to Shimei, you know in your own heart all the harm that you did to my David, the, my father. So Yahweh will bring back your harm on your own head. You see that? Yahweh will bring back your own harm on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before Yahweh forever. Then the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down and he died. Shimei died. Did Solomon take him out out of vengeance? Did David take him out out of vengeance? Shimei decided to die. Because Shimei, after receiving unprecedented forgiveness, chose to betray the king. And the phrase right there, it, his harm came on his own head, is mirroring Psalm 7, verse 16. His mischief returns upon his own head. And on his own skull, his violence descends. Friends, 
This is what we learn from Psalm 7. We might be frustrated. We might be hurt. We might be in pain and we might be in grief. That's fine. There's no sin in feeling those things because the world isn't right. We should feel something is wrong. But if we don't pray it out, we will play it out. But because David prayed through this, he was able to be Christ-like with his enemies. And his enemies walked into their own pit. And we have to trust that God is indeed the judge. And he's not asking us to do that for him. That God will bring everything to its proper and fitting conclusion. So here's how David at the end of his prayer, and uh, here's how he ends his prayer. Verse 17. I will give to Yahweh the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of Yahweh the Most High. The book of Psalms are about prayer and praise, but the funny thing is that about half of the Psalms are Psalms of pain. The other half are Psalms of praise. We've opened up after Psalms 1 and 2, 3, 5, 6, wait, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, with the exception of maybe 4 and 5. They've been mostly a lot of pain. A lot of like, ah, oh, David's going through all this. What is going on? God save me and break their heads and all this stuff. They've been Psalms of pain, but they all end with praise because this is what prayer and praise do. They work us through the pain so that we are not throwing it on the others, but we are growing through it ourselves. See, David is able to forgive Shimei because he's gone through his own grief work in chapter 6. Now, I was supposed to do this right after chapter 6, but things changed, right? You might remember a couple weeks ago when I did Psalm 6 and David prays through his grief. He prays through it. He doesn't ignore it. And that grief leads him to grace. And if we do the same... We will find, as we find grace in our lives, we will be able to give grace to others' lives. Whenever I see a Pharisee or someone who's judgmental or someone who's that person, whenever I see that, I I can spot real quick, they have not dealt with guilt and grief in their life because they don't know what grace is. People who have been given grace by God show grace to his people and to all other people. David here concludes with praise because he's gone through the work and he now sees this is a God worth praising. I'm not going to curse Shimei back. I'm not even going to on the sly talk about Shimei in a bad way. I am going to work through this with God and now verse 17 is his intention. He's coming out of prayer. He's saying, I will give. So the first thing I say to the world, the first thing I tell somebody else, when I go on my social media account, this is what I'm posting. Praise. The name of God be praised. The name of God be thanked. So, I forgot to tell you the title of this, but it's Posting on Gracebook. Posting on Gracebook. Because here's... um, I'm just using Facebook as kind of the catch-all medium for everything internet. There's a lot of, and I'm going to pick on Christians right now because that's us. And we should be better than this. But there's a lot of Christians who are posting anything but praise. It's a lot of grief. It's a lot of hurt. It's a lot of pain. 
And it's very obvious what they're doing with that when they do so. We ought to be posters, rather than going postal, if you will, we ought to be posters of prayer and praise. Now I say this and we all agree, but the truth is deep in our hearts, we want to rip certain politicians we want to rip certain people who aren't following rules. We want to rip those people going to bars. We want whatever it is right now that you're seeing in the news. You're reading the news. You're looking at it. You're hearing it. And none of it makes sense. And it's causing this sense of this confusion. And what we want to do instinctually is we want to rip them to pieces. We want to complain. We want to protest against that. We want, you know, we just want our voice to be heard really is what it is. I'm feeling this. Who else is with me? We just want to know people see it the way we do. I get that. That's human nature. But Christians, we need to be better than that. Our voice isn't heard on a social media platform where other people can applaud us and like us and say, yes, I'm with you, or, oh, I'm angry at you, and then you you reply with other angry things and say, well, you're a snowflake, and well, you're a right-wing wacko, and whatever, and that goes back and forth. We need to be better than that. Giving voice through what we post or giving voice through prayer. I just want to give voice to what I'm feeling. Well, God is there all the time. You don't need this medium to voice or vent. You've got God. And yet, how many people have we seen? I hope I'm not pointing the finger at us, but maybe at maybe them, other Christians. I don't know. Uh, I think I'm guilty too, though. How many times have we instead voiced online or to someone, maybe a real listening ear, on the phone, on the text, in person, at a coffee shop with whispers? Remember when we used to go to those places? Um, just, can you believe this? And we're, we're hunting down the internet for, for, for stories that make sense the way we want the world to make sense and, and villainize the people that we don't like. So much of that going on right now. Christians have to be above this. So posting on Gracebook looks like going through Psalm 7 and dealing with these things and then coming to the conclusion, I will post praise and thanksgiving to God. That's kind of modern vernacular there for you. So I want to give you guys a challenge. If you're on social media, then great. If you're not, then Challenge yourself and the people you talk to. That everything you say, every opinion you hold, every article you forward or share or like or click or talk about or post or discuss, every, all of that, that this week, try it for a week, that it is only praise. If it doesn't praise who you're talking about, don't do it. Try that. But if it vents your anger, makes you feel better, cool. You're just a mere human. I'd rather be a mere Christian, like C.S. Lewis said. Let's try. Let's try praise, posting praise, because we've been people in prayer. And let's see if we don't become leaders in our community. The church ought to be the people that the scared and confused look to for help in this time. But instead, I'm sensing we're just like everybody else. We're just as confused and angry and wanting to find our own narrative for what's going on. Well, good news, guys. Psalm 7 guarantees God's on the throne and sin boomerangs. So be careful that we don't sin in our response to everything because that will boomerang as well.
Lord, we pray. We pray for your help.